the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. It is a privilege to welcome a new guest to the show, Professor Charles Lipson, L-I-P-S-O-N, not to be confused with Liebson. He is the Emeritus Professor of Political Science at the University of Chicago, the Peter B. Ritzma Professor of Political Science, Emeritus. He also is the founder of their program on international politics, economics, and security. has an important piece today in Real Clear Politics, The Deep Politics of Vaccine Mandates. I reached out to him and was delighted he agreed to join us. Welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix, Dr. Lipson. Thanks. Call me call you Charles. The problem with that is my middle, the problem with that is my middle name is Charles and my last name is Leapson. Uh-huh. <laughs> so between oh, Charles oh, Lipson and Seth Charles Leapson, oh. we may have to write a book together. <laughs> I've got to tell, tell you that my uncle, Harry, uh, Harry Lipson, yeah. um, uh, married into my family yes, sir. because he taught my father, whose name was Harry Lipson. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm just going to assume you guys changed it from Liebson at Ellis Island. Oh, oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But you've okay, done you, you've done something uh, that I usually do ask uh, uh, first-time guests. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, how you grew up and came to be doing what you're doing now. Tell us a little autobiography. I, I grew up in rural Mississippi, um, uh, about uh, a hour and a half south of Memphis, Tennessee. It's that agricultural region uh, where all the blues players uh, come from. And I, my family uh, had been there for three generations, and I went to high school and so forth there, and then I went off to college. I went to Yale, and then I got a PhD, an MA and a PhD from Harvard. And after that, I've been in the University of Chicago for many years, and I, I must say I, I love it here. And one of the reasons I love it is that the students here are very smart, but there's not the kind of pretentiousness that you associate with those East Coast schools. And uh, I don't, I must say um, that I'm snobby about pretentiousness. I don't I, like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the University of Chicago is the, is, is the best school I never attended. I, I, I have admired and esteemed a lot of the things that have happened there over the years. And, uh, of course, uh, I'm talking about uh, the Committee on Social Thought, all, all the kinds of things. Oh, universe yes, absolutely. I must say that one of the things that's imperiled at all universities, including our own, is the sense of free, open discourse. i got to stop you on that. I'm so glad you went there, and we'll get to your topic in a minute. But, Professor yeah. Lipson, that's interesting to me because University of Chicago is continually cited as the place where free speech is most defended, the University of Chicago principles and all that. Not so, huh? Uh, no, it is true. Uh, it's the tallest midget. Oh, okay. 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 And we are living in uh, the land of Lilliput in academia, are we not? I love to hear you make these uh, references. Um, uh, I, I, I just think that they're terrific. And you're right about the Chicago principles. I would just say this to your audience. 
a, a university that's going to have free speech not only has to have good principles, they have to enforce them on the ground. Mm-hmm. That is, when teachers or students try to shout down people and stop people from speaking or create an environment in which you simply won't say things that uh, are out of bounds, then I think uh, it's up to people who have those on-the-ground responsibilities to step in, and that's a problem at most universities. What would you have expected if you weren't emeritus and were full-time at the university still, uh, and you wrote this piece? What kind of pushback would you have expected to receive? Now, you were in a perched position, obviously, with an endowed uh, chair and all that, so maybe it would have been different from you. But what if an assistant professor on the tenure track wrote this? Uh, he or she wouldn't do it. Got it. And, um, and uh, I think it goes one step further than that. Uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, I started seeing students coming into my office. They knew that I had – I had started out much more on the left, but over time, I think I, I kept the same values, but I thought that the outcomes of a lot of these leftist policies, which were designed to help the poor and so forth – uh, self-defeating. They weren't helping people. A good example would be something like um, raising the minimum wage. Okay. But but uh, I began to see students coming into my office and saying, uh, I'm more conservative than people in my department, and I'm afraid of speaking out. And I felt like there must have been gay professors in the early, let's say in the 1950s, who had students who came in and said the same thing to them. Say, I, I kind of have a feeling you might be gay and I'm gay too. What should I do? And that professor wouldn't say, oh, you should just be out and proud right. because you might not be able to go on. And that's exactly what's happened. So a lot of students who know that they wouldn't be hired, who know that they would be discriminated against, don't go into academia. What's happening now, I think, Seth, is you're beginning to see the same thing in a lot of corporations. I do, too. And by the way, on that point, just to give an idea of the cultural shift, I'm, yep. I'm curious if you would agree with this. And I, I, it's fair to say I don't think we've known each other before. I, I, if I've met you, I, I apologize. But, I reached in my pocket for some change, and I thought I shook hands with you. <laughs> I was the guy running in the other direction. Oh, so I don't, my only point is I, I really don't know your politics, and it's fine if you want to tell us or tell me. I don't care for the point I wanted to ask you about, but I have a colleague yeah. on radio here. Uh, Dennis Prager, you you may know of his work. I, I have the highest regard. Oh, okay. All right. I'm getting to understand your politics better. But he yep. says, he says it is demonstrably easier today to come out as a person who is gay than it is to, as a conservative in most environments and certainly at every college campus he's ever visited. And I that's just a kind of an interesting pendulum swing, I think. I think it's a really interesting I pendulum more, swing. I think it's easier to come out as transgender. Well, I would agree with uh, that at this come point. Out as conservative. But, I mean, uh, it shouldn't be hard to come out as either. That's the point. I mean, the point That's the point. I mean, the point is, right. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and why is that? Um, there's a great picture, which some in your audience may know, that goes back to uh, Norm, uh, 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 to Norman Rockwell's uh, pictures of a guy in a New England town meeting yeah. standing up, and he's giving his view, and you can see everybody is listening to him attentively, 
as if they might not have heard that view before. He looks like Lincoln by memory serving, and I think it's called that freedom of so speech. True. I think it's called freedom that of speech. So okay, true. You're walking into my area the- here. I'm a huge Rockwell nut. Okay, go on, go on. Okay, yes, uh, that is absolutely right. Okay. And it was freedom of speech. It was part of Roosevelt's four freedoms. Right, right. And, um, and uh, I think we're losing uh, that. And what do we lose when we lose that? Well, first of all, that guy might have been right. Secondly, even if he's not right, the people who have different arguments will make better arguments if they listen to what he's saying. But, in fact, what happens now is they're not only suppressing what he's saying. If he does say it, he'll be fired. That's right. That's right. And you think about what the point of schooling is or education is, elementary, secondary what, what, what you're involved in in post-secondary, you think about this and you tell me something that just I think is the death knell of, of all education, which is to say an assistant professor would be cowed or would be, uh, would, would be put in fear of writing the kind of thing you wrote today, which is not that partisan, by the way. <laughs> if you were meaning to be really right-wing, you weren't, I have to tell you. <laughs> but, no, no, I wasn't. In fact, I sometimes get pushback, although a lot of my views are conservative. I I often get pushback from the right because they say, well, what you said here doesn't help our side in one way or another. And I say, that's not my job. Yeah, no, that's not your job. No, I agree. And I won't be one of them. I'm never one of them. You know, I I want intelligence. I want candor, intelligence, and goodwill. Let me say something, Seth. Let me say something about the first paragraph sure. of, of what I wrote. By the way, anybody who's interested in getting this, if they just go to Charles Lipson, L-I-P-S-O-N, charleslipson.com, it's there. And if they want to sign up, it's free. And if they want to uh, get on my mailing list or something. Yeah, let me repeat that. Things. Easy enough. Char- yeah, let me repeat that. Charles Lipson, L-I-P-S-O-N, charleslipson.com, charles, L-I-P-S-O-N.com. I have to take a break. Uh, Professor, can you stay with us a little bit? I'd be delighted. Let me take a, uh, a commercial break, and we'll come back and talk about your first paragraph and go from there on your piece in today's Real Clear Politics, the deep politics of vaccine mandates. I'm Seth Lipson. He's Professor Charles Lipson. You can sign up for his newsletter at charleslipson.com, L-I-P-S-O-N. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. We are delighted to have Professor Charles Lipson with us, L-I-P-S-O-N. I spell it because his website, he has a great newsletter. It's free if you want to sign up, charleslipson.com. His piece in Real Clear Politics today, the deep politics of vaccine mandates. Professor, right before the break, you were going to go into what you were getting at in your first paragraph. Go right ahead, sir. We were talking about how sometimes you can kind of, quote, offend both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my job is not to not to carry water for either one. I, the main point of the piece is that a lot of the uh, of the debate that's going on over mandates is really a debate about the essential features of progressivism. Right. Features that have existed for uh, really a century. Mm-hmm. Let me come back to that and say that I start by saying that the debate over the mandates is focused on the trade-off between individual rights to make medical choices and the potential harm that unvaccinated people can pose to others. 
And I say that that trade-off is unavoidable, and people who say it's all about freedom or it's all about protection are really uh, sort of hiding the ball. It's really about both, and there is a trade-off, okay? Right. I, and, and I'm on board with that. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's perfectly reasonable to start, in fact, I think imperative to start with the baseline of freedom and going from there. But anyone involved, anyone in, yeah, yeah, anyone involved in this world, I, I, I agree with. Yeah, that. no, I'm but everyone okay. involved in this no, world right. knows that you know the four most important words in a democracy are up to a point, right? <laughs> yeah, that is so true. Okay. I just feel like all of our politics is turned up to eleven. Yes, but in any event, well, yeah. yeah, beyond eleven. But this is important. What you said about progressivism, because no one's really put their finger on this, and you've done a nice let me, job. Let me say that. Let yeah. me say that because I was just writing to somebody uh, earlier tonight who had written a whole book on it, and I said, "Look, the book is great. I learned a lot from, it, but it's also important to have these things out in a kind of succinct, mm-hmm. clear way, mm-hmm. without simplifying." but just in a succinct, clear way. So the most important thing about the Biden administration's approach to mandates is that it's standard-issue progressivism, and so is the pushback. Pushback is standard, too. The progressive agenda emphasizes deference to, and I'm going to list four things, experts, not elected politicians, rational bureaucratic procedures, centralized power, in the nation's capital, not in the federal states, not in state capitals, right. not in state legislatures, right. and what they would call a modern living constitution, which, for their from their point of view, replaces the dead constitution, the old one of 1787 to 89 uh, that uh, that was formulated in Philadelphia, uh, and and it severs. They are interested in severing. The restraints that old constitution imposes on government power. Um, well, this and, is why that's so important because yes. people, you know, people who aren't schooled in progressivism, which is most people. Right. Uh, first of all, I don't even think the conservative movement paid attention to progressivism until something like the 1960s at best. Maybe, maybe, right. uh, maybe, right. maybe not until the 70s or 80s, to be honest with you. But that having uh, that point aside, when people say, how did this come to be? How can you just directly violate the Constitution? You do a nice job of explaining it when it came to the rent abatement mandate. But when when they ask, how does this come to be, there is an entire worldview of politics in this country that does exactly what your fourth point does, which is denounces, renounces, I suppose, emends the Constitution. When someone says, I don't know if we have a Constitution anymore, it's because there is a movement in this country very strong now that thinks that 1787 is outdated and outmoded. Right. I mean, in that... The most current version of that is the 1619 project. Right, but right. They've cha- right, that's a good point. They changed 1787 to be a nullity, but not sufficiently happy with that. They changed 1776 to an entirely different no- year altogether. Yeah, right. This is this, right, this right. is. It would and, be nice uh, to be a progressive. <laughs> yeah, it's really shocking. But um, what I say, um, first of all. The intellectual beginnings of all this was with Woodrow Wilson, Uh, and he was quite explicit in saying that the old Constitution just didn't work anymore. We needed to replace it. But there were procedures to replace, uh, to amend the Constitution. That's how we had 
uh, the vote for women. That's how we had the post-Civil War amendments about uh, black citizenship and all the rest. Uh, they didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. But what they did do was, I would say, there were two elements of it. One was the huge growth of federal bureaucracies, which started uh, a little bit in the Roosevelt administration, Franklin Roosevelt administration, but really expanded with the Great Society of Lyndon Johnson and actually expanded almost equally, maybe even more, under Richard Nixon. Right, who gave us OSHA, by the way, if memory serves. Yeah. And... And it's important about Nixon because I think you see a lot of the debate that goes on actually about Trump and other things in the Republican Party is about whether or not Republicans really want to govern within this overarching FDR, LBJ, all the way up to to Obama, whether they want to govern within that broad framework or whether they want to push it back in a way that Reagan tried to do. Well, that's what goes to the heart of whether you want to call it a Republican form of government or democracy. It really goes to the heart of it when you're talking about unelected people making the most serious and drastic decisions for us, isn't it? I mean, I think that that's exactly right. The second, that's exactly There's right. no accountability to the people whatsoever. That's right. Uh, and you could see that once again uh, to, today yeah. in the news story about the FBI botching the uh, Larry Nasser abuse mm-hmm. uh, of the gymnast, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was reported repeatedly to the FBI. The FBI completely ignored it. He continued to abuse girls for another year plus, Mm -hmm. and the guy who was ultimately in charge of all this, who let it all sort of slip through the cracks, retired. Mm -hmm. And the the, uh, federal uh, Department of Justice looked into it and said, oh, we don't think we can prosecute anybody. So everybody gets away with it. Right. They've gotten away with all of it, all all that's left. And, in fact, the DOJ didn't even turn up today at the hearing. Is that right? They'll turn up later. So it's just sense that the bureaucracies uh, really run things, and they're a kind of fourth branch uh, of government. Now, they are nominally under the president of the United States. He's elected. But if, uh, if there's no control of political control, further down the line, then that's a problem. And what's happened is that the Congress has really ceased to legislate in um, detailed ways. They pass a big law that basically says, we don't want pollution, and then they hand it over to the environmental Oh, that's right. Agency. They have ceded their authority to yeah. this. They they have done their own job exactly. in evading, or I should say eroding the separation. I have one more commercial break here, Professor. If you can stay with me, I'd love to keep you just a little bit longer and talk a little bit more about all of this in the context of what you write about with regard to rent abatement. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Can you stay just a little bit longer? Yeah, I'll put another nickel in the phone. Machine. I appreciate it. Is it on your dime or mine? <laughs> I don't know. All right. I'm Seth. He's Professor Lipson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Lipson Show. Our guest, privileged and delighted to have him stay with us, is Professor Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. CharlesLipson.com, his website, if you want to 
uh, subscribe to his um, his essays and articles as he puts them out. It's all free, and it's L-I-P-S-O-N, Charles L-I-P-S-O-N. Professor, I wanted to talk to you just a little bit um, about unconstitutionality, ceding power. You were talking about how Congress had ceded a lot of its own authority to the executive branch in establishing the rules and regulations from the laws that they pass. We're about to exercise, maybe go through an exercise over a national vaccine mandate using uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is headed by a man named James Frederick. I'm guessing no one in the United States has heard of him except family and immediate friends. Uh, the CDC director is Rochelle Walensky, who is never elected to anything, and she's in charge of rent abatement, which has its own constitutional problems. I mean, pretty soon, Anthony Fauci, of course, is, is of course. Anthony Fauci, right? Never elected to any. It's pretty quickly becoming apparent that who we vote for is much less important than what this um, federal government has in the form of career civil service. They may govern us more and permanently so than the people we elect to office. It's a frightening thing if you consider it. Yes. it's a. You put your finger on uh, several very important points. So here's the first thing. Uh, Congress cannot delegate its authority to make laws. What uh, uh, there's a There's a separate legislative, executive, and judicial branch. And a lot of what happens in today's today's bureaucracy actually combines all three. That is, there's a very vague law that's passed by Congress. And it says, sometimes the law will say literally thousands of times in the law, the secretary of Department X shall make the uh, rules regarding how much... Uh, how much, let's say, lead pollution shall be in uh, paint. Right. And uh, but then that person who is appointed and approved by Congress uh, in the executive branch, he delegates it further on down the line to somebody who's effectively tenured and can't be fired. Mm-hmm. But, but then they set the rules. So they legislate it. Then they implement it. They go out to your business if you somehow they think you might have violated it, they implement it. Then they say, oh, you, Seth, you violated that, Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to try you in our bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Now, you can eventually, if you have enough money, take it to a federal court. But that, they take on the judicial function. Mm -hmm. So executive, legislative, and judicial are all actually consolidated within these of bureaucracies, and it's a real problem because it's hard to hold them to account. And we saw that in the case of a kind of rogue FBI under Mueller, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I mean, excuse me, under under Comey, mm-hmm. uh, that Mueller uh, allegedly investigated. But of course, he'd been the previous FBI agent, and there'd been a lot of abuses under him. He wasn't going to turn over the rock very far, and he didn't. So we. We have a problem there, and one question – on the other hand, there's no way that the Congress can legislate the amount of lead that should be in paint 
You know, I mean, there's a million of those things, and they don't have the expertise. So it forms a real problem in a modern economy. Uh, it also forms a problem because individuals cannot know the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 the only way you or I can obey the law is if we actually know it. But the rules are so detailed that almost everybody who actually turns in their taxes, if the taxes are complex, if they have more than just a payment from their employer, they almost can't know if they're complying with the law. They're trying to, Mm -hmm. but our laws are now so complex, and this imposes a huge cost. And these laws are all uh, written by lawyers who don't consider the costs of compliance. They, They really don't, and they inform a huge burden on us. Uh, it's ludicrous that the uh, Center for Disease Control could have anything to do with rent control. That's just ludicrous. It is. It, uh, it, it's ludicrous, and people don't know where to go for accountability. I mean, outside of state attorneys correct. general, Professor, this has been fantastic. It's great to meet you, and uh, at least over the phone. And I hope this can be a down payment on many happy returns. Thank you very much, Seth. What a pleasure, and what a pleasure to you, the people of Phoenix. You betcha, Professor Charles Lipson, L-I-P-S-O-N, CharlesLipson dot com. If you want his newsletter, it's free. Doctor, thank you. Godspeed. We'll be in touch. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. It's the company I, my friends, and my family use. I love Cool Touch. Uh, they are available to you 24-7 because air conditioning and plumbing problems don't just happen Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. You call these people on Saturday night. Best chances are you'll be fixed by Sunday morning. I know I had that experience. So have others. <clears throat> cool touch for all your air conditioning and heating needs. Give them a call at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932. Or visit them online at cooltouchac.com. For all your air conditioning repair needs, if you need a new unit, replacement, and inspection, and the same goes for plumbing. CoolTouchAC.com. I see here today that Time Magazine has done us a favor. They have shown us why it's legitimate in the eyes of some to say General Milley may have evaded the usual standards, but these aren't usual or normal times. If they're serious about that, then what they're telling us is the same justification the Supreme Court used in the Japanese internment case, which is to say in times of war or abnormality or crisis, the law is silent. Inter arma silence legis in Latin. And it's not true. It's not true. That's known as a shameful Supreme Court decision, rightfully so. Justice Plessy versus Ferguson is seen today by most rational people as a wrong and morally unjustifiable decision. Justice Dred Scott is seen as a wrong and morally unjustifiable decision. And the funny thing is, 
without perhaps even realizing it, those are the decisions the left is bringing back, at least when it comes to their rationale for public policy. Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal, dividing kids by their status, by their health status, punishing some while giving favors and privileges to others. We've discussed that when it comes, for example, to mandates in schools like you have at a place like Brophy College Prep. If you're vaccinated, you can go on a field trip. If you're not, even if you test negative, you can't. That's what one example. There's plenty of examples like this. When it comes to what the left says about our founding, steeped in racism, meant to justify it, a constitution and a declaration deliberately and a founding deliberately established to protect slavery and its expansion— Yes, that was a view in this country. It was a view held by the authors, Judge B, Judge, uh, Justice, Chief Justice uh, Roger B. Taney, by the authors in the majority of the Dred Scott decision. That was their view. The minority view, the Abraham Lincoln view, my view, I think yours, is that that's junk history. That's rot. It's not true. Yes, there were people that said the Declaration of Independence was a great lie. They were the leaders of the Confederacy with names like Alexander Stevens and Jefferson Davis. You see, the left and the progressives have walked in to every morally repugnant Supreme Court decision as a rationale for everything they're saying and doing now. I don't know very many other talk show hosts who are, who, are, who are explaining this point or at least raising this point, but it's awfully important to accept and adopt and understand because when we think about the statements that we love, like Ronald Reagan's, freedom can be lost in a generation, this is how it's done. This is how it's done. The course of American history is, as Reagan said, an unfurling, always expanding ribbon. Yes, it is. It's not a regression. It's not a regression. It took us from Plessy versus Ferguson to Brown versus Board of Education to get rid of that noxious Supreme Court decision, or at least ethic that separate but equal is just fine and dandy. It took us almost a century. It took us almost a century to get from the end of the Civil War to Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech and the subsequent Civil Rights Act that came the year later. All of it based on, all of these things based on a declaration and a constitution that people like Martin Luther King Jr. esteemed and quoted all the time, all the time. So when you wonder about these regressions and where they come from, there is precedent in history. It's been the losing side of history and the judgment 
of most morally conscious people that those rationales of your Dred Scott, Plessy Ferguson, the Confederacy, it has been the judgment, the considered judgment of this country that those philosophies were morally wrong. Now, I understand we don't like the language of morality in the left, but notice how much they've adopted that too all of a sudden. Notice how much the word patriotism came off the lips of a Democratic president for the first time in a long time. It was just, unfortunately, a muddled view of patriotism. To most normal-thinking Americans, patriotism is general love and support of your country, standing for the national anthem, perhaps the Pledge of Allegiance, This is a movement that thinks the more sane and moral thing to do is to take a knee or sit down or create yet a second national anthem to go along with the first. And I don't know what it would mean if people took a knee during the quote-unquote black national anthem. Actually, I do, and you do too. You see, if it's America, it's okay to put up a kick-me sign if it's the America that most people understood and read about if they went and graduated from school up to about 30 years ago. But see, the progressive movement, true to its name, has a different idea, has a completely different idea about education, about our founding, and about our fundamental liberties and rights. Because they don't believe in the original ones, only the new ones they create. And then we end up with a country without a constitution. I'll be right back. I was watching something the other day, maybe two nights ago, and it had this song on it, Jay Ferguson. And I, I, I was happy to hear it. I, you don't hear it very much. Uh, I thought maybe I was maybe the only station that used it as bumper. I still may be. But it was good to see it on a, I think it was on an might have been the show Red Oaks. It might have been. I don't know how many of you might be familiar with it. It's okay. Um, Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. Hey, Seth. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Well, I'm always doing good. And to cap the day, listen to Seth and uh, his guests. The last guest you had was absolutely outstanding. Oh, thanks. Uh but, you know, I think everything that you've been covering these last few days is reinforcing a thought I've had recently, and that is that it is the narrative that becomes reality for most people. And I think conservatives miss that point. You know, um, education is really the beginning of the narrative. It, the, the narrative doesn't have to be in reality. It uh, It is a story, and it's a tale and reasoning that they begin. It can be totally flawed, but if the, if, the, if the narrative is told often and repeated enough, it becomes reality for uh, very many people. And I think that is one of the big problems that, that Republicans, the non-fighting Republicans, have, and that is a good portion of our elected representatives, 
uh, i.e., uh, Larry Elder running in California, how many Republicans went and helped him elected? No, none. It was crickets, you know. So the narrative is almost. I, th- I think he. I think he side. may. I think he may have had more liberals jumping, oh, yeah. to, uh, speaking yeah. up for him than Republicans. I think. I mean, I don't. I don't know how Dave Rubin categorizes himself these days. Usually, he says he's a liberal. Rose McGowan is certainly no conservative. I, it's yeah. an interesting problem. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, but 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 think about this now. When, when I call up complaining about us, we are the problem, it is because think about the liberals' tactics. They will fight tooth and nail. If they lose, the narrative is never questioned. Let me do this, Doug. This is I, so important. i got to take mm-hmm. this break. Can you stick with us just a little bit? Sure. Okay, great. And anyone else who wants to call in, there's room as well. 602-508-0960. And I've got to tell you, remind me, Chris, if I forget got to tell you about time's new top 100 list their top 100 list of the most influential people in the world i for the i think now 20th year in a row did not make that list so i think i might cancel my subscription after 20 years we'll be right back three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 